0: Hello, welcome in Kumustan. Thank you for joining me. My name is Hao. I am an occupational therapist. In this episode, we are going to have a discussion about stroke, and uh, this is just an introductory discussion and conversation about stroke. So this is stroke education and awareness. Now, stroke is a very, very, very popular area for occupational therapists and I have experienced this and I've seen a lot of people wanting to go and, uh, you know, when they do their placement and they wanted to do their uh, rotation as a clinician, either a band 5 or a band 6, stroke is the one thing that always comes up alongside with hands of course or neurological rehab or cognitive rehab but stroke is a a a, an area that is really popular so we're going to talk about stroke okay and some of the information about stroke just to let you know uh the information is out there in the internet and in 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 the web you know stroke is the fourth biggest killer in the united kingdom there's about a hundred thousand stroke uh, uh in the united kingdom every year and there's about 1.2 stroke survivors as well and of those survivors, around two-thirds of those survivors will be left with disability and uh, it's such a problem that one-third of those survivors will also have a form of uh, uh, mental health or emotional well-being concerns and they may have some form of depression now, in terms of time, every five minutes in the United Kingdom, one has been having some stroke, and uh, someone in the world will have a stroke every two seconds. So, in it comes to the impact on our uh, economy, the stroke survivors have, you know, there's, there's about they would have at least two to three times. They are more likely, around two to three times likely, to be unemployed after the stroke. And it, this is costing the society around $26 billion a year. So from the NHS to the social services, uh, a lot of things. I don't know how they manage to do that. But it's out there. You know, just have a look at that. So the question is, what is stroke? Stroke. Stroke is... A, this is a life-threatening, serious medical condition where part of the brain is cut off of its blood supply. And when that happens, it should be, you know, stroke should be considered as a medical emergency because a lot of things can be resolved. There are, it can't totally be resolved, but there are things that you can do at a very early stage. So you could prevent some problems from getting worse, but it needed to be treated as an emergency. Now, with stroke comes with it this terminology called transient ischemic attack or TIA. And this is, it also happens. It's the same procedure. It happens when there, with the blood supply of the brain is temporarily interrupted as well. And it will create the same symptom as what, uh, you know, the symptoms of stroke because the, the brain is affected. So that function of the brain that did not receive the blood supply will have a will not be working. But it is the difference between this, the TIA and the stroke, is that the symptoms is only lasting for a few minutes to 24 hours. Yeah. And that's why this is called a mini stroke. So when you have these symptoms that come up for a few minutes to less than 24 hours, and then it vanished after 24 hours, then it will be considered as a full blown stroke. But if it is happening, if you observe this, and if you're working in the hospital, or you're in the community, you have people, you have friends, you have family, who's demonstrated these problems, And they've had the symptoms for, uh, you know, a few minutes. These are symptoms already, you know, you need to go and call 999 straight away. So, TIA, it should be treated urgently as well because they are often a warning sign that the person is at a high risk of uh, having a full-blown stroke. So, why is it important For those people who are working in a surgical hospital, for example, why is it important for uh, uh, people to be aware of stroke if you're working in a surgical hospital? And the, the answer is simple. You know, stroke is a major and potential complication of surgery. So it happens, you know, when you meddle with the blood supply, In any form of surgery, you know, there could be complications, and this blood supply is connected to the brain. You know, the brain needs the blood, so it is a potential complication of surgery. That's why it's important for everybody to know about stroke. So now we're going to talk about the different types of stroke. Yeah, there are two general. Yeah, the first one is a stroke. That is caused by a blockage, or it's called a thrombotic stroke, yeah. And uh, so it can be a thrombotic stroke, or it can be an embolic stroke, meaning there's a free-floating uh, things in the blood supply, and then it just finds its way to the smaller artery. So it can be um, it can be an embolic stroke or thrombotic tr- stroke. You know, at the end of the day, both thrombotic stroke and embolic stroke they are both blockage type of stroke and this is familiar to those people who had conditions such as atherosclerosis so you have hardening of the arteries you have atrial fibrillation uh, if you have um, arterial uh, dissection so you can have that and if there is a surgery for example if a person is having a surgery then there could have been some atheromatous debris that has been uh, dislodged and it just found its way up into the brain. It can either find its way up to the brain or it'll find its way onto the lungs, you know. So these uh, debris can be, this now are called uh, embolic stroke. Or because it's surgery, particularly say it's a heart surgery, for example, then you can have some hypoperfusion. Because what they tend to do during surgery is they tend to slow down. There are certain surgeries where they slow down the, uh, the, the blood flow. So, so that, that, that allows the surgeon to, to work with patients, for example. And if the blood flow is interrupted for a few times, you have this thing called hypoperfusion. And so the brain just will not or did not get enough blood supply. So that's hypoperfusion. So another type of stroke, which is the more uh, challenging one, and it's more uh, fatal, is the, the bleeding type of stroke. So you have two types of bleeding. You can have a bleeding inside the brain itself, and this is called the intracerebral hemorrhage. Or you can have a bleeding under the meninges or under the lining or the protective covering, uh, which is called the, the arachnoid uh membrane so under that you can have a bleeding in that and that is called the subarachnoid hemorrhage subarachnoid hemorrhage and that will impinge on uh the uh you know the 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 brain so you have two types of bleeding intracerebral hemorrhage or you can have subarachnoid hemorrhage so when it comes to stroke symptoms The most popular one that we encounter, and this is the government's initiative, you've heard of the FAST, don't you? Uh, F stands for face. When somebody has their facial droop, all of a sudden, you know, it becomes lopsided very quickly. So be mindful of that. Or you can have arm problem. Can they raise both arms? Or is it all of a sudden, uh, does the arm become... uh, Did it become um, uncoordinated? Um, So they lost the power in their arms. So that's for the A. S stands for speech. So it could either be slurring of speech. So be mindful of that. Or they just couldn't find the right words and they would appear confused. Okay, or coherent—they're clear to speak, but then they're not getting the right words out, and that's really uh, uh, scary for the person. So, once you've identified these things—the face, the arms, and the speech—then you have to put in a time. You know, the time is time for you to call nine 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 because it is very important, and you should treat it as an emergency. So that's the vet general category. Now, but if we talk about the some of the categories or stroke symptoms a little bit more, so if you're working in a hospital setting, for example, so I need you to think that stroke it can have an effect on all the functions and all the areas since the brain is affected, and uh, then the function of of that particular part of the brain will have, uh, will be affected. For example, so you can have an issue where the level of alertness and consciousness, all of a sudden there is a sudden and quick change to the level of alertness and the person will have problems with their thinking. All of a sudden they cannot do things, for example, or they just don't know how to put on their clothes or they would have a sudden memory impairment when you're talking to them. They just could not remember things. Or they can have a disorientation, for example. They just don't know where they are all of a sudden. And they would have inability to follow instructions. Or they would have issues with problem solving as well. So that's how it would affect general consciousness and general thinking. Yeah? So the stroke can affect that part. The thing with these symptoms is that it's very difficult to isolate it. So it's not a total marker of a stroke because there can be other things. You know, you can have you can have internal bleeding somewhere or all of a sudden you have sepsis, for example. Uh, you can have infection. You know, all of these, the thinking, the uh, alertness, the consciousness, that will be affected as well. Okay, so that's why it's not very popular. Uh, but if you are there if you're working in the hospital keep an eye on your patients just be mindful of the the, the symptoms so stroke can affect somebody's vision we see vision v is you can't put that in a in the fast symptom isn't it because it's just it's just hard to put that anywhere so visual impairment will be one of uh, there will be some characteristics uh, uh, characteristic impairments, for example, uh, particularly when the person is saying they're just not seeing the one side. You know, they think one eye is not working properly. Usually it's the left side that they do not see, but it's not almost like that. Mm. Sometimes they don't see the right side as well. Uh, but typically they would describe that one side they're not seeing it. So they'd be walking and they'd be bashing onto things because they didn't see it was there. Uh, another symptom is a, a symptom called uh, diplopia. Uh, they are seeing double. Yeah? So all of a sudden, their eyes are not moving in synchroni, in synchronous, synchronicity. They're not working alongside each other. And that's why yeah, they are seeing double. So the, that symptom of not seeing one side is a symptom called hemianopia. So if we break it down on the Latin language, hemi is half, a is without, opia is seeing. So you're just not seeing half. The diplopia, if we break that down into Latin terminology, dip, di, di, is double, opia is vision. So double vision. There you go. When you break it down into Latin, it doesn't look so complicated. Now, moving on, there are some speech problems. So stroke can affect the uh, person's ability to speak and you will have some speech problem. And this will be a problem, particularly slurring of speech. Or they know what they want to say, but they are unable to express what they want to say. Uh, they just can't get the right words out. And you can see the frustration in their eyes and in frustration in their faces. This is a symptom called expressive aphasia or expressive dysphasia, Or they would have difficulty understanding spoken words. So you go and talk to them. You ask them to do something, and they just could not follow you. And uh, all they would do is they'd, they'd revert to familiar words like yes, yes, yes. So you go and ask them if they are okay. They would respond yes, and you think, They are okay, but you really need to go and speak to your patients and just find out what they are, uh, you know, whether they can engage in conversation. So unable to understand spoken words is a problem called receptive aphasia, uh, and that's why they will be perceived as somebody who is confused. Now, slurring uh, and facial weakness is... uh, you. asymmetry you can have drooling because there is no lip uh, tension on the one side so you can have drooling and because it has uh, speech has something to do with the uh, swallowing uh, the tongue for example the esophagus then you can you're likely to have some swallowing problems and that is called a, a symptom called dysphagia Stroke will be affecting a person's movement, yeah, and when it comes to movement, apart from the face, you can have movement impairment on the arms and on the legs, and on the trunk as well, but on the trunk, it only moves forward and back, little side to side, but what the, it does on the movement on the trunk is, is, is its stability, the core stability, so, the movement impairment is really very visible on the person's arms and legs if they are in the hospital. And if they're lying down in bed, then that's where you would find some movement impairment. So, the um, uh, it would present itself as weakness, okay, or uh, some uh, uh, hemiparesis, okay, or you can have a total paralysis of the one side. And this is a symptom called. Uh, hemiplegia now because movement you would have incoordination as well so all of a sudden they would say they're dropping a f- uh, fork they're dropping the cutlery they cannot hold on to uh, um you know cutlery and and fork and then the cup so they're not trusting to hold the cup they cannot reach for that cup so you can have gross incoordination and that is because uh, apart from the weakness it may be because the sensation or the feeling on that affected side is impaired as well. So when you have an impaired sensation, it will come out as a, an impairment on movement. So you can have that impaired sensation. Now, because we're dealing with muscles, so when somebody is sitting, you can have poor postural control, which they would say balance is impaired. So a person may assume, but they may have difficulty maintaining sitting balance and they may have difficulty with shifting weight. So that's the dynamic sitting balance. And if sitting is impaired, then add that sitting impairment with the leg problem, then standing is going to be a problem too. Add that problem with a poor head control. Well, definitely you would have impairment with postural control. So if sitting balance is impaired, if standing balance is impaired, there is a problem with their leg strength and sensation, then you will have symptoms. You will have gait pattern problems. You will have impaired walking. So you can have hemiplegic type of gait. Okay. So how do we know? Next question is how do we know if somebody has had a stroke? Well, It's very simple to diagnose it apart from the symptoms. The symptoms are there. You can almost predict that these are symptoms of stroke. But if you really want to be certain, the only way to find out is through a scan. And there are two major scans that are very popular. And the first scan of choice is the CT scan. So CT scan is very good in picking up the bleeding type of stroke. Yeah, that's why it is the first line of choice in the ambulance. Uh, You know, once there's a stroke alert or they're in the ambulance and they call the A and E, the first choice is a CT scan. Now, CT scan will pick up the bleeding type of stroke, and when you've identified that there's a bleeding type, then the doctors will be guided. That and they will say, well, you don't, you cannot do some certain interventions if it's a bleeding type. Uh, if there are no problems, particularly with the TIA, for example, they come back. I think there is a standard, there, there's an expectation that people who's had a, uh, a TIA they should have access to an MRI scan. Okay, an MRI scan is more sensitive in picking things up, uh, the perfusion of the brain. Um, so that would be the second choice and the, the second line of, of scan that is to confirm so you can identify which part of the brain is not receiving uh, the blood supply. So MRI scan. Okay, so that's the way to identify if somebody's had a stroke. Apart from knowing the symptoms, you do a scan. Now we'll go with the treatment. So the two exciting ones, let's talk about the first exciting treatment. It's a treatment called thrombolysis. Okay, let's break it down on the Latin terminology. Thrombo, from the Latin word thrombus, lysis, destruction of. So basically, you are destroying that thing that's blocking the artery so that you would enable the blood supply to reach the brain. So with thrombolysis a patient will be injected with a uh, um this is a clot busting drug yeah it's alteplase uh, but you know I'm not so updated with uh, with the medication that they're using again for an occupational therapist it doesn't really matter doesn't it but what happens is for you for us to know that a patient as soon as they go to A&E then they will be uh, they will have the CT scan and these thrombolysis, it needs to happen within four hours. Yeah, you know, from the first moment, from the uh, the time when the symptoms start. So it's really important to identify. So you know, from the time of stroke, you have four hours of window to conduct this thrombolysis, so that we'll be able to save that brain because. If you do it a little bit later and later and later, if you do it later, then you could have destroyed, you know, you may have destroyed or taken off the blockage. But the brain dead is not brain dead. The brain cells are already dead. So they've already infarcted. So there is no point, you know, there's it's it's too late. So that's why there is a target when people go to hospitals, there is a usual target of, there's a door-to-needle target of 55 minutes, okay? The thing with thrombolysis is that it is a precaution, one of the precautions is you do not give this to people who has had hemorrhagic stroke or the bleeding type of stroke, yeah? So that's why uh, you do the CT scan, you know? So when you do the CT scan, uh, you identify if it's a bleeding type. And if it's a bleeding type and there are symptoms, then you don't give thrombolysis because you could just make it bleed even more. Now, also, I believe it is a precaution and you're not supposed to give uh, thrombolysis to people who's had a recent surgery. So if you're working in a surgical hospital or major surgical hospital, um, then you've identified the stroke as a bleeding type. You can't thrombolize the person. So for the uh, surgical hospitals, thrombolysis is out of the uh, of the deck. You know, out of the equation. And then the next thing that uh, uh, people do is a procedure called thrombectomy. So if we break it down again, thrombo, r- blockage, ectomy removal. So you remove the blockage, you know, and that's why you need to do an MRI. Because if you do an MRI and you identify the blood vessel where there is a blockage, then there is a way to put in a catheter to find its way through that part of the artery. And then once it reaches the... Uh, the artery or the blockage, then you can pull it out. So, in the United Kingdom, last I heard, you know, we're still trying to catch up with our skills and ability to put, conduct thrombolysis. So, there are people that, you know, there are centers and trusts that are faster in giving thrombolysis, um, let alone, uh, you know, capture the our response time in conducting thrombectomy. Uh, when I attended the uh, Stroke Forums, World Stroke Forums, uh, a good few years ago now, they were just arguing as to who's going to do it, you know, with the thrombectomy. Is it going to be uh, the neurologist, neurosurgeons? Is it uh, interventional cardiologists? Because it's all, you know, having the catheter in, the same with putting a stent, you know, it's all the same principle, but it's just finding your way up there. So there you go, thrombectomy. Those are the two exciting treatment that people always want to talk about that when they do they would always make posters or papers about it. yeah thrombolysis and thrombectomy they are the interventional type because the uh, the remaining intervention is the usual conservative uh, management for stroke which is medical or pharmacological management and in pharmacological management people will be given, Anti thrombotic therapy, okay, or they'd be given lipid modifying therapy, so anti cholesterol drugs, or they'd be given anti hypertensive therapy uh, because, you know, high blood pressure is you get more chance of having a stroke, okay. So, if you're working in the hospital or in any hospital, depending on your protocol. Now, I know there are some places. Uh, it, now, this one varies from trust to trust. I've worked in a trust before where if anybody has identified a stroke symptom, it's a district general hospital. What they do is they call the local stroke team. There's just in a bleep, and they're there straight away. And the local stroke team can just arrange a CT scan. They know what to do. So it's like an emergency within the hospital. So that's that. That's amazing. Um, there are some hospitals, though, that if, uh, if they don't have the stroke team, so they, they recommend that you follow just a few procedures. So, so one procedure or one thing that uh, nurses or healthcare assistants or any clinicians, you know, one, the first step is to be familiar with the symptoms, So know what these symptoms are, the ones that I've mentioned to you earlier on, you know, do you have dysphasia? do you have drooling, do you have diplopia, do you have expressive uh, and receptive aphasia, do you have weakness? So identify those symptoms. And once you have identified those symptoms, you need to record that somewhere, you know, what those symptoms are, what are those behaviors that that are observed, and you have to note the time when you have observed that symptom. And if you are doing your regular rounds, you just need to update their Glasgow coma scale. so at least it's just giving some records so for the clinicians who would come in afterwards. So get the GCS, do an OBS, you know, get the BP, the heart rate, the rhythm temperature. If you're there, you know, if, if ECG lead is there, you, know, get this uh, oxygen level, what's their saturation level and then what the pupil size and their reactions are. And you have to look at the blood sugar as well because sometimes people get confused because the blood, uh, the, the sugar level is low. So if, it, if, if the problem is if they have, uh, if it's less than four millimoles per liter of, in the blood sugar, then you just need to treat it. Yeah, uh, But then also record it. And then you have to escalate the observation. So it now varies. You know, if you're a nurse, you know, report it to a doctor, for example. Or if you're there and you have a regional or local stroke team, report it there as well. Um, and And then that's it, really. And if you're a doctor, well, you're on your own. You're the ones that would want to make that decision, isn't it? Uh, again, there will be protocols for that. You know, if you're a doctor and you don't know what to do, seek for a second opinion what is the best thing to do? But always treat it as an emergency. So if you're out in the community and you've observed that there's a symptom, call 999. That would be the first line of choice. But if there's no emergency protocol, you know, in the hospital, the, one of the emergency protocols, I believe, is 2222. Two, two, two. Yeah, that's four twos. And uh, yeah, it's all dependent on the process in the trust where you are working. So there you go. Uh, so basically, it's all about identifying whether it's a stroke or not, whether there's problems and the symptoms. And at the end of the day, you will decide to treat it with thrombolysis or thrombectomy. Not you as occupational therapist. you know, you in general as a team. Once the person's been identified to have had a stroke, then as an occupational therapist, then we'll be keeping an eye on it. We'll do the assessment, you know, we'll, keep, uh, we'll look for the symptoms. We'll be doing some positioning, uh, moving and handling. We'll advise the nursing team and uh, everybody with regard to moving and handling, uh, with regard to personal care methods, we need to advise people about that. And then speech and language will be advising on the swallowing and communication techniques. And then occupational therapists and the discharge planning team will have to advise the team uh, about the discharge options for these patients. Now, in terms of treatment, we will have that discussion at a later time or at a, in a different podcast, yeah? Yeah. So, there are a few discharge options. So, if you're working in the hospital, the there are a few discharge options for your stroke patients. The first discharge option is that, you know, there was a stroke, symptoms resolved, there's no problem, all is good, straightforward. Go home with some follow-up from medical advice, and then they will pass on the details to the GP. So, home is the first discharge option. The second discharge option is person they can go home but if they have some stroke symptoms that needed addressing then there is this service called early supported discharge service ESD service and this has been recently put up you know having I mean, recently when i said that that's probably around 2011 12 uh when when it they tried to make it a national service and this ESD service is uh, these are a group of therapists specific to doing stroke rehab you know and i think what happened was there is there was a call to discharge patients out of the hospital yeah fair enough that's fine but when you discharge a person early out of the hospital and they're in the community you find out that they become Disadvantaged by not having access to therapy team. And this is what ESD does. So home with ESD, particularly therapy uh, services only. Another discharge option is patient will be discharged home with ESD or therapy, plus reablement care, short-term carers for those people who needed a form of physical assistance. Now there are other ESD services that includes carers, so again with that it's home with ESD okay now, in other places, I remember that the people can go home, but there was a pre-existing community neuro team or community stroke team. They don't even call it ESD so that was because these services were 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 already in place before ESD was born, yeah. So if you're in a specialist hospital, for example, and uh, say you're in a uh, like a specific like fracture, surgical fracture uh, hospital fracture, orthopedic hospital, yeah, focused on surgery and somebody's had a stroke. So after that, you know and you're a specialist hospital, you need to get the person back to their uh, district general hospital. That's that's the uh, line of thinking about that. Or you can find the local stroke rehab units as well. So those are a few of the discharge options. Okay. Uh, and um, yeah. So I guess that's all there is with regard to stroke. Yeah. So in this session, again, just to give you a reminder, we spoke about stroke, the definition, the type of strokes, uh, the way on how you diagnose the stroke. We've spoken about symptoms as well, and we've spoken about some overall uh, medical intervention, Uh, okay, Uh, which is strange because I've spoken about medical intervention and not yet with uh, occupational therapy intervention for stroke patients. And that will come in in uh, a future episode. So thank you so much, guys. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, my name is How. I am your occupational therapist. Okay, so just remember, anything you do matters and has An outcome. Okay. Right. Until next time. Bye.